Last week we dealt with the inspiration specifically with inspiration specifically and critically the inspiration of the Bible that we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. We're in a series called Firm Foundation and so far we've talked about knowing God and the Bible as our foundation to our foundation. And this morning we're going to discuss the Holy Spirit. Last week, well, before I get into the the scripture from last week, C.S. Lewis said this, It is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible, read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers, will bring us to him. Jesus is the center of everything. Jesus is God. Jesus is the word of God. How many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis? (laughs) How many of you knew that he made a statement like that? You probably never heard that. Probably never read that statement. But that's that's C.S. Lewis. Very trusted. Very loved. And I'm looking for a verse of scripture. I may not have stuck it up here, Jeff. And I don't think I did. But it's from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and for training in righteousness. God is still breathing today. Just as he breathed upon men and women of old, men who wrote and penned the original manuscripts of the Bible that we have today, so he is breathing upon us by his Spirit. And it's important for us to understand the operation of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The central message of the New Testament isn't escaping this world and going to heaven, as commonly taught. Rather, it's that God's sovereign loving rule came into demonstration on earth as it is in heaven. The four gospels don't proclaim a narrative of how God came in Jesus to rescue souls for an immortal extraterrestrial home. It's the story of how a loving God in his son Jesus became king on earth as he is in heaven. It's fascinating to me how that there is an absence of any depth of reference or teaching on the subject of the Holy Spirit in a great many pulpits. And in fact, just to demonstrate, there's an absence of a depth of teaching in our theological schools and colleges on the subject and person of the Holy Spirit. This guide that I hold in my hand, as you can see, is rather detailed. This is the guide that accompanies the written work of Wayne Grudem. I mentioned this last week in our study on the subject of the Bible. This is called Systematic Theology. Listen to some of the topics. The Word of God. The Doctrine of God. The Attributes of God. The Trinity. Creation, God's providence, the doctrine of man, sin, 
the person of Christ, doctrine of atonement, the resurrection, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the future. I, I mean, and it's just detailed, detailed. All right. See that little box right here? Out of six panels, details on all the doctrine in systematic theology that's important for you to know. That little square is, guess what? That's for the Holy Spirit. Out of this entire guide, six panels, scriptures after scripture, details after details about systematic theology, one little square up here is given to the person of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Now, I have this book. I think it's, in fact, I said yesterday, or last week, it is the de facto standard in Bible colleges. It is a great work. I'm not in any way slighting Wayne Grudem. I'm just saying, this is par for the course. You'll find this in a lot of Bible schools and colleges, where the emphasis is on theology and on uh, systems and on, uh, you know, the human mind and thinking, you know, it's on, uh, I'm searching for words, but very little on the experiential life we have with the Holy Spirit. I think that's backwards, actually. We're going to explore this morning three aspects of the Holy Spirit. The person, the promise, and the power. You ready to go? Let's talk first about the person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is not just a force of God. He's not a power emanating from a divine being. Jesus talks about the person of the Holy Spirit here in this passage of Scripture. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Greek word is parakatelos or parakletos, counselor, defender, companion, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send... Now, here's what I want you to do. Every time we get to the personal pronoun regarding the Holy Spirit, I want you to say it out loud, would you? And then would you count how many times in this passage of about six scriptures we stumble across a personal pronoun for the Holy Spirit? Okay, ready? But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now or bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Anybody count those up? Twelve times 
in just those several scriptures, Jesus himself refers to the Holy Spirit, not as a power, not as it, not just as some force, divine force, but as a person. Do you know, do you have a relationship with Holy Spirit? And could we, in our efforts to move closer to understanding the person, do away with the the in front of Holy Spirit? Did you know the is not part of his name? It's not like the first name and holy is the middle name and spirit is the last name, you know. <laughs> it's Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. The moment you stick the in front of it, you, you've almost done what classically we do with our theology and that's relegate the Holy, relegate the Holy Spirit to an inanimate object. Some sort of power, just a force that emanates from, from God and the divine. Secondly, we know that the Holy Spirit is part of what's called the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all. Do you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there? And notice they have distinct personality, distinct function, distinct operation. Here's another one. Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water at that moment. Heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Father, Spirit, Son. Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit is God. Jesus says that he is our parakatalos or parakletos as some say. Our helper, our companion. We'll go back to that Greek word. Parakletos I think is a proper pronunciation of it. Parakletos. Counselor, defender, companion. Now, I like companion a little better than either of the other two because of this. It comes from a compound Greek word, para, by the side or close beside, and kalo, to invite, to call, to name by name, to give a name, to receive the name of, to give some name to one. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and gives us our name, calls us by name, righteous, holy, redeemed, patient, kind, successful. wise, 
more than enough, able, victorious. The Holy Spirit is our companion who names us and reveals our true identity to us. That's why Jesus had to go, is so that he could send another companion to reveal the finished work of Christ. In the mirror translation, Francois says in John 16, verse 7, Now listen up, hear me. My departure is not to disadvantage you. Everything that is about to happen brings conclusion and bears together what the prophets pointed to. This will be to your absolute advantage. If I do not go away, your companion cannot come to you. But if I go, I will send to you one to be face to face with you, defining your very being. Why couldn't Jesus stay on the earth? Why after his work on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection, why, why couldn't he just stay here? He says in his own words, I had to go. It was for your advantage that I go. If I go, I'll be able to send another companion to you. And he actually is going to be omnipresent. He's going to exist across the planet. And he's going to not only reveal me, teach you about me, but he's going to call your name. He's going to reveal your true identity as your companion. In John's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, we we have somewhat of a text for what we're going to talk about this morning. The person, the promise, and the power. Let's look at this. And And would you read this aloud with me? And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, all of my years growing up as a believer and Christ follower, all through Bible college, I was taught that the ministry of the Holy Spirit on earth and the reason he came was to convict the world. He was going to show them what sinners they were. He was going to show the world what real holiness is. And he was going to show them that if they don't accept Jesus, they're going to be judged and sent to hell. I don't know about you, but that's what I grew up with. That was the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Oh, and yes, the Holy Spirit came to empower us to be good witnesses. But after all, what are we going to witness to? Well, we're going to tell people and help the Holy Spirit convict them of their sin. (laughs) We're going to help people understand what real holiness and righteousness is about and that they're not living the right way. Oh, and then if they don't turn, they're going to burn. That was our ministry. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The word used in the English Standard Version for convict 
is actually translated convince. May I say to you that the Holy Spirit never says or acts in any way that the Father and Jesus would not personally act. Never. If we change that word from convict to convince, as many translations properly have it, then we're in agreement with scriptures like this. Oh, I missed a slide there. John 3:17. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. Here's the message translation of that. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. Doesn't that change things a bit from his ministry being to convict, to convince? Ask yourself, if the ministry of the Holy Spirit and by transmission, you know, since we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and he gives us our ministry, then our ministry is to convince the world or to convict the world. What are we supposed to convince them of? What is my ministry of convincing somebody who's not a Christ follower? Have you ever thought about that? If the Holy Spirit has been given to us to help in his ministry of convincing, what are we supposed to convince people of? Are we supposed to convince them that smoking is bad? That sex before marriage is unholy? That cursing is ugly? And really bothers God's ears? I already shared with you John 3.17. Look at it again. God did not send his son into the world to judge, to condemn the world, but to be its savior, to rescue it. My ministry every day when I go out and leave my home is not to convict people. It's to operate in the love of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in convincing them of how much the Savior loves and has, past tense, rescued them. My ministry isn't to show people with an accusing finger, you're bad and you need to change. People are pretty aware of that actually. My ministry and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convince people of the same thing that hopefully you feel convinced of this morning. Of how much God loves them. And how he's called them by name. And how that their identity now, because of what Jesus did, is different. It's righteousness. It's peace. It's joy. Paul said, he has been made unto us righteousness. He has been made unto us wisdom. He has been made unto us holiness.
You know, it's interesting. I might be getting ahead of myself here. Let me see if I can find... <clears throat> I don't know if I made a slide up on this or not. I don't think I did. But you've, you've heard us refer to this scripture before in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Paul said that it is the goodness of God that leads man to repent. Pointing out people's sins does not lead them to repent. Paul says it's the goodness of God that causes man to repent. I wonder, have we had the wrong message and thinking we're doing the Holy Spirit a service? Thinking that the Holy Spirit's power is operating through our lives if we've done a good job of making people feel bad. <laughs> I think we've had the ministry of the Holy Spirit all wrong. The Holy Spirit never says or acts in any way that the Father and Jesus would not personally act. Here is the Aramaic translation of John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11. And so that you don't read ahead. How many of you know what language, we've talked about this before, maybe you've studied this. How many of you know what language the, old, the New Testament was written in? Yeah, exactly. It, I'm not a trick question, okay? Greek. However, what was the language that Jesus himself and his disciples spoke in? Aramaic. And so there are Aramaic translations which are actually in the language that Jesus spoke in. Watch this. And when he comes to the world, he will cover over the sinner and over the righteous and over the judgment, over the sinners that never believed in me, over the righteous that I am going bonding to my Father. And you are not seeing me again over the judgment of the rulers this world being judged now that's a very interesting translation I don't know about you but I'm convinced God loves people and that he was successful that Jesus was successful that the cross was successful and that the person of the Holy Spirit Jesus said, he is going to leave. Jesus said, I've got to leave so that the person of the Holy Spirit can come as your companion so that he can reveal to you and sum up and conclude everything I have accomplished and make it real to human beings. His ministry is not to condemn. Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn or to judge, but to rescue how would the ministry of the Holy Spirit be to convict people and make them feel bad if the ministry of Jesus wasn't, wasn't to convict people and make them feel bad? Jesus came to rescue. We've so butchered the scriptures in our thinking and our legalistic thinking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, here is the mirror translation once again. And Francois translates those exact verses in this way. In this capacity of close companionship with you, 
Holy Spirit comes to convince the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Holy Spirit in you will persuade them concerning their sin, which boils down to a bankrupt, distorted identity due to their indifference to me. The world's unbelief and indifference to Jesus, he comments, is the very cause of their bankruptcy. Sin is to live out of the context with the blueprint of one's design, to behave out of tune with God's original harmony. He continues, In this union with you, the great companion will also convince the world of righteousness because in my disappearing out of sight to be face to face with the Father, the Spirit of Truth will interpret the conclusion of my mission, which is mankind's association in me and their redeemed innocence. The intimate union with my Father that I displayed while present with you in my physical body will now be made visible to to you. Then the world will be convinced that the judgment that was their due was accomplished when the ruler of this world system was judged. It's not the ministry of the Holy Spirit to point out how bad people are and to warn them about going to hell. The judgment that Jesus talks about here that the Holy Spirit will convince people of is the fact that this world ruler was judged by what Jesus did and that they are no longer guilty. You see, we believe that about ourselves now that we've prayed the prayer and we go to church and we read our Bibles, but we don't believe that about other people, do we? We believe other people are sinners and that they're bad and that they need to repent and change or else they're going to hell. But we believe differently about ourselves. And what is the difference? Well, I've accepted Jesus. Well, really, what is the difference between you and that person? Well, I believe. All right. Good point. I'll grant you that one. And I've changed my ways. Has nothing to do with the gospel. Nothing in the gospel says that you're to change your ways. The word repent means to put God at the center of your mind, not to change your moral behavior. In fact, you can't change your behavior until the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you surrender to him and you become a vessel for him. He's the one that brings about change. But even that, God doesn't love you because you're moral. I'm going to camp there. God doesn't love you because you do good things. God doesn't love you because you changed your behavior. It's quiet. Question. When were you forgiven? When you prayed the prayer? Or when Jesus hung on the cross and said it is finished? When were you forgiven? When you prayed the prayer and accepted it? Or when Jesus died and rose again? Then why do you think it is your ministry to keep track of other people's moral behavior, challenge them with it, convince them that they're wrong, and that if they don't change, God doesn't love them and they're going to hell? That is not the gospel. So when we talk about the importance of the subject of the Holy Spirit being foundational 
to Christianity. This is what we're talking about. If we don't get this right, we're not going to be right about the Bible or about how we know God because it's the Holy Spirit who came to, as our companion, show us our identity and reveal to us God. Let's talk about the promise. In John's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 17, Francois translates that face-to-face with you, defining your very being. Here it is from English Standard, or not here it is, but here is one of the key passages dealing with the promise. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as of yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Early Christians understood that their Spirit-led worship was actually an exchange for the old temple. That now God didn't live in tents. God lives in me. So what's the difference between me and the, quote, sinner, or, quote, unbeliever, or, quote, person who's not a Christ follower? Believing. But does that change what God has done for them? None. You say, well, what are you telling us? I'm telling you that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is never for you to try to convict people of their moral behavior and then challenge them to change and behave so that Jesus will accept them. Our ministry, like the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to come alongside, beside, called beside, and tell them their real name. You are loved. God's forgiven you. God accepts you. God accepts you as you are, not as you're supposed to be. Could we say that aloud? God accepts me as I am, not as I am supposed to be. So the promise that Jesus himself spoke to here was what? Here's the mere translation. On the final day, the crescendo of the eight-day Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus, knowing that he is the completeness of every prophetic scripture and promise, cried out with a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, Let him come and stand face to face with me and drink. How many of you have drunk something this morning? How many of you drank something this morning? How many of you are thirsty again? How many of you could use a sip right now? Yeah, I I, I could. In, In fact, I'm thirsty. So I'm going to 
get out the source, and I'm going to drink. If anyone is, how many of you know some people that are thirsty? Not thirsty for judgment and condemnation, thirsty for love, thirsty for acceptance. Thirsty to be called by their true identity of what God has made them to be in Christ. Then let him come and stand face to face with me and drink. You mean sinners are accepted by Jesus? He wants to stand face to face with them? Absolutely. You mean Jesus will stand face to face with that corporate exec who's stealing with that gay or lesbian person who, in our view, in our understanding, is living a, quote, immoral life? You mean God wants to stand face to face? And his question isn't, are you going to change? Because unless you change your behavior, I can't accept you. His question to them is this, are you thirsty? Then... drink the promise of Jesus regarding Holy Spirit isn't that he convicts and judges but that he's there as a companion to come alongside and to quench your thirst I don't know how many people I have met who are not Christ followers who have rejected the church and religion because of its judgmental, critical, all right, hypocritical tone. But they are thirsty for a loving God. They are thirsty for a Jesus that the Bible talks about. Who, when the woman who was caught in adultery was thrown down at his feet, all the religious people and leaders of the town had gathered stones and were getting ready to stone her. And they said, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. And Jesus knelt down and he wrote, the Bible says, in the, in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. I think he was writing the names of the people that were standing there with the rocks ready to throw them. I, I think he was writing their names. And then he stood up and he said to everybody that was looking on, ready to convict, ready to judge, ready to cast that stone. Let he who is among you, who's without sin, you throw your rock first. All of a sudden, thud, thud, thud. Thud, 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 rocks begin to drop, <laughs> hit the dirt, and they begin to turn, turn away and, and walk, walk away. And they all left. And Jesus reached down to the woman and said, Woman, where are your accusers? She looked around. There aren't any more. And here's Jesus' words. 
neither do I condemn you. Now that was before his death, burial, and resurrection. How did God forgive sins before Jesus died even? Much more now that Christ has gone to the cross and died for my sin. And so Paul says in that great verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. If he's not keeping track, I can't keep track. The ministry of the Holy Spirit doesn't keep track of sin. He calls you alongside and he says, thirsty, drink. And you're realizing that I am what the scriptures are all about. You will discover uniquely for yourself face to face with me that I am what you are all about and that rivers of living water will gush out of your innermost being. I love what N.T. Wright says here. Just as the Pauline view of God's ultimate future for the cosmos is the joining together in the Messiah of all things in heaven and earth, so I believe that Paul's view of God's ultimate future for the human person is the full integration of all that we are made to be. Sounds like Francois Dutois a lot, doesn't it? Very interesting. See, I think there's a voice being raised up in the earth that's correcting a lot of this theology that we have believed and getting us back on a Bible track of integrity. So we're talking about the person and the promise. And let me mention to you the power before we close. Jesus' baptism and anointing with the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 3 was just a setup for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that came in Acts chapter 2 when it fell upon all of the disciples that were gathered in that upper room. Just as Jesus' baptism in the Holy Spirit opened up the kingdom of God for earth, so the great day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 announced God's kingdom had come to earth. And so we see that when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, they spoke God's word boldly. It was a spirit-led church. The supernatural became common and expected gifts of the Spirit were an integral part of the resurrected life. It is our relationship to Holy Spirit that brings the kingdom future forward into the present. If we want to see more of God's rule on earth, we are the containers. We are the new temple. Heaven has come to earth in you. Early Christians weren't looking for the end. They weren't going away, living elsewhere. Early Christians believe that they were already living in the time of fulfillment and transformation of the resurrection of Jesus. Let's stop praying to leave. Let's stop praying to escape. And let's start believing that we are the new temple of God 
in the earth and that the kingdom of God has already manifested, starting with Jesus and his baptism in the Holy Spirit and now continuing with us and our baptism in the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor Jeff, I've heard about this thing of seeking the Holy Spirit. What is that about? I think I want that, but I don't know what that is. Let me explain it to you very briefly. First of all, you don't need to seek as in though he's somewhere else. He's not far away. You don't have to get him to come. Jesus said, if you thirst, then drink. If you sense in your Christian walk that there's more, that there's something missing in terms of empowerment and wisdom, and when you read the scriptures, they, they just seem to be a mystery rather than coming alive. If you're hungry for God, then Jesus invites you to come and to drink. That's step number one. Number two, he said, receive. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Uh, do you have any bills on you? Like dollar bills or cash or I figured I was asking the right person. I, I, I don't know why, but this one right here. Oh, yeah. I haven't had one of those in my pocket all week. I haven't had one of those in my pocket all month. He had several of them. He said, just pick. (laughs) 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 That's what we think God does. And, and, And you know why I didn't give it to him? Because you don't behave. (laughs) Because you have some sort of moral compromise in your life. Okay? So you don't get the Holy Spirit. I only give the Holy Spirit to the people who are moral, who are right, who pray enough. That's not what Jesus said. He said, Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you have a need in your life? Do you have a need in your life? Any kind of need. You have a need in your life? Are you hungry? (laughs) That was pretty quick. Bam! I I think he was thinking I was going to pull it back. So he grabbed it. Good job. Yeah, good job. Yeah, I should have stopped at the bank, I guess. Got, gotten one so I could... Are you, are you getting the picture? God's not holding out on you. He wants you to have 
Holy Spirit. In all of Holy Spirit's fullness, in all of Holy Spirit's personhood and relationship with him, he says, look, if you're thirsty, all you need to do is receive. And then in Acts chapter 2, when they did have that great outpouring called the day of Pentecost, 120 of them, after Jesus rose and went back to the throne, he left, Holy Spirit came, he was poured out in an upper room, it's called the upper room, and 120 people got filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Here's the verse. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We have a song this morning that we're going to play. During that song, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, for just everything Holy Spirit has for you, then he's here to empower you, to come alongside you and call you by your right name, and to really transition you into being the kind of disciple that loves people well and knows how to just share this good news. Now, I have done just a very cursory five minutes with the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This, this was not a message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This, like all of these messages, I have, you know, 40 minutes to touch on a subject that itself deserves nine weeks. So we'll circle around and we'll do a whole series on Holy Spirit and His gifts. But, if you would like to know more about Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and even the gift called speaking in tongues, this brochure gives you just point blank. It, it, it is the best. We've carried this for years. It is the best explanation. This is what we practice. This is what we believe about Holy Spirit and his baptism. Could I just ask you before we turn on this song, we're going to lower the lights and we're going to close our service. During the song, if you would like prayer for Holy Spirit just to overwhelm you, to fill you so that those, that river's gushing out of you, then Nina and I are going to be here praying and laying hands on you. But during the song, and you may just want to stay in your seat and soak, I'm going to ask you to consider something. Look up here. Could I ask you, who spoke in tongues? Who did the speaking? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who did the speaking? Excellent. And they were filled. And they began to speak. Right? Because that's a conjunction. They all were filled with and. The word and is a conjunction joining the subject.
of the previous idea to the next. They were filled and they began to speak. The Holy Spirit furnished the words. I've helped more people come into their heavenly language by just helping them understand that in a service like this when we're praying, if you sit there and go like this, That's exactly what's going to happen. But if you, on the other hand, say, Holy Spirit, thank you. I receive you. And I choose to speak. More people with that understanding have begun to pray in their heavenly language than all the other efforts that I've seen made in services to help people receive this mighty gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The person, the promise, the power. You don't have to go get it. You don't have to change who you are. Just thirst, receive, and speak. Speak.